0: very exciting day uh, for us as a fellowship, exciting day for Malcolm and Valerie and family. Malcolm and Valerie coming into membership. We've got uh, God's two means of grace to pour out blessing into our lives. And we've got this picture of coming into the family, baptism, and the picture of sitting at the family table. And God's grace is beautiful and wonderful. And it's Great to see it working in people's lives. And we're going to look today at two verses, Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and 39, to see something of the wonder of this. Three things that we want to see. We want to see, first of all, a great invitation. A great invitation. Peter is speaking as God's spokesman, and he issues an invitation. But to understand how great the invitation is, We need to get ourselves into the the chapter a little bit. We did this on Tuesday night, um, but let's do it a little bit again this morning. It's about 50 days after the crucifixion and then after the resurrection. God has sent the Holy Spirit, uh, just this very day that we're reading about here, to the followers of Jesus. Uh, The message of Jesus is to go out to all the nations and God sends the Holy Spirit to give them strength to do that, to follow Jesus in doing that. But in particular, in this moment, actually to give them the ability to speak other languages. So that the good news can go to all the nations. And as they start to speak and they, they come out of the house, they're in They're so excited. And they're talking about what God has done. The crowd that's in Jerusalem for a big festival called Pentecost hear them speaking in their own languages and they're amazed and they want to know what's happening and some think that they're blind drunk and just gibbering and Peter stands up and he says, men, women, no, they're not drunk. This is something really exciting. God has told us that this would happen many hundreds of years ago and now it's happened. A prophecy has come true. The people you can imagine would be excited, but then there's a tremendous shock because this prophecy, Peter goes on to say, that tells about the coming of the Holy Spirit, is fulfilled because of someone called Jesus from Nazareth. Now they all knew who Jesus of Nazareth was. Some of them had shouted, crucify him, crucify him. Some of them had shouted, set Barabbas free, not Jesus. Some of them had spat at him. Some of them had mocked him as he hung on the cross and said, ha, he saved others. He can't save himself. What a failure. He, he thought he would build or destroy the temple and build it in three days. Look, he's nailed to a cross. He can't even come down from that. And they had mocked him. They had ridiculed him. Some of them perhaps had lied at his trial. And now they find that this same Jesus is alive and worse than that. He's raised and exalted. He's seated in the throne of heaven. And he is the one before whom they're going to have to appear as judge of all the earth. And they're struck with terror. You can imagine the utter dread that would come over them. That cold terror that would sweep over their hearts and minds. that That sinking feeling in the pit of their stomach as they realize... What did we do? And I did it. I shouted those words. I cried out for him to be condemned. And Peter really drives it home. Uh, The English Standard Version uh, gives the word order better in verse 36. Let the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, This Jesus whom you crucified, Peter really presses at home, it's emphatic. This Jesus whom you crucified, you murdered the Messiah. And they're cut to the heart. The word that's used there is a word that's used in other places for being stabbed. And they they, they feel as if they've just been stabbed. Their sins are weighing on them. They're terrified because the prophecy in Joel goes on to speak about the end of the world. The Holy Spirit would come and then after that there would be the end of the world. Now Joel as he gives this prophecy is is squeezing things together that happen spread out in time. But the people perhaps don't yet understand that. And they're thinking this Jesus could come back any moment and indeed he could. This Jesus could come back any moment and destroy us. What can we do? They cry out. And Peter speaks as God's spokesman. Now, if you were God, what would you say to the people who'd murdered your son? You'd be inclined to say, well, tough. Too late. You blew it. You knew. You saw the miracles. You had every opportunity to repent. But you didn't. You ignored him. You should have weighed up your actions. And then you said, you said very clearly, let his blood be on us and on our children. You said it. And now you've got to pay the consequences. Peter doesn't say that. Peter acts as God's spokesman and he conveys God's great invitation. Repent and be baptised. Every one of you for the forgiveness of your sins. What wonderful, wonderful words. These people had crucified their Christ. They had killed God the Son. And God the Father offers them mercy. Matthew Henry, an old writer, uh, described it with this lovely image. He says, this is a plank." After a shipwreck, you're floundering in the sea. The ship has gone down. Your clothes, the weight of them, are tugging you down. And a plank comes bobbing past. And you grab it and you hold on for all you're worth. This is a plank after a shipwreck. There's hope. They can be forgiven. How? Repent and be baptized, every one of you. They're to repent Repent means they need to change their mind. They need to change their mind particularly and specifically about Jesus and about their sin. They thought that they were okay. They need to realize they're not okay. They thought that Jesus was an imposter. Now they need to realize that he's the Son of God. They need to change their mind. They need to come and confess their sin to God. They need a complete shift In their thinking. They need to go from mocking Jesus. To worshipping him. From ignoring him. To putting him front and centre in their lives. And they need to be baptised. Baptism is a picture of the washing away of sins. It's a sign of God putting his name on us. To say that we belong to him. And Peter particularly singles out the name of Jesus. They are to be baptized in the name of Jesus. These people had shouted out, Crucify him, crucify him, take away this Jesus. They wanted nothing to do with him. Give us Barabbas, not Jesus. We don't want Jesus. And a sign of their repentance will be that they are happy and willing and eager to take the name of Jesus on themselves. Say, yes, I am. I'm associated with this Jesus. I follow this Jesus. Isn't it wonderful that the Jesus whom they had killed now offers them forgiveness and cleansing? And that's made clear. The richness of this mercy is made clear in the next words. Every one of you. You can imagine someone saying to Peter, but I lied about him in the trial. Is there mercy for me? Peter looks and says, every one of you. Another one says, but, but I shouted, crucify him, crucify him. I shouted, give us Barabbas. Is there grace for me? Every one of you, Peter says. Somebody says, but, but I taunted him as he hung there, humiliated on the cross. I mocked his misery. Is there any hope for me? Every one of you, Peter says. Somebody comes to him and says, but, but we cried out, let his blood be on us. I said it, I was there. Is there really any way that God would forgive me? Peter says, repent and be baptized. Every one of you for the forgiveness of sins. What a wonderful invitation. How staggeringly merciful is our God. And that invitation rings out down through the centuries to today. And that's what Malcolm and Valerie have done. That's what many of you have done. You've repented, you've changed your thinking about the place that Jesus should have in your lives about your sin. You thought you were okay. You now know I'm not okay. You thought perhaps that I could impress God with how I lived. You realize that can't be the case. And Jesus has moved from being something of a a side issue in your life to being the one in whom you trust. You've changed your thinking completely. You've repented. Malcolm and Valerie are going to stand uh, later on this morning. Uh, to testify that they're relying on this Jesus for their salvation, for their forgiveness. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. Perhaps you're not yet trusting in Christ for yourself. This invitation is being made to you this morning. Come and put your trust in him. Rely on what he's done at the cross. Turn from your own efforts, turn from your sin, turn to him and say, will you save me so that I can be forgiven? You need to repent. You need to believe. The verse doesn't mention their believing, but it's clear that they do believe because they believe that Jesus is who he says he is. They believe, as we'll see in a moment, that they could be forgiven. If they trust in Jesus, they do make that. Step of faith. That's how you respond to this great invitation. What a, can you imagine? These people committed what we would describe, humanly speaking, as the worst of all sins. They cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. And yet mercy is offered to them. You can't be too bad for God's forgiveness, can you? For God's grace. Secondly, two great gifts. Two great gifts. Peter says that if you repent, two things are yours. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's a taking away and there's a giving. First gift, the forgiveness of sins. It's a lovely word that's used here. It it means the cancellation of a debt. You're up to your ears in debt um, and somebody says it's okay. The the person you owe the money to says it's okay, we'll cancel it. You've overdrawn at the bank and they've sent you a letter that says there's a fine and you can't afford the fine and, and you ring up the bank and somebody there says it's okay, we'll cancel uh, the fine, yes, you know a fine of seventy quid, a hundred euro. Uh, whatever it is, small, financially. What is that compared to the cancellation of our debts before God? God says i'll cancel it. Forgiveness is the writing off of all our disobedience. God says I'll not hold you to account. Psalm 32 says, Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against him. It doesn't count it against us. You know, Some religions, in fact all other religions say that you can take your good deeds, and if you do more good than bad, well then, you, you know, you'll be in. Your good deeds can outweigh your bad deeds, but that doesn't work. That's like somebody owing the revenue commissioners hundreds of thousands and saying to him, but look, if I pay my car tax, will you take it off my revenue bill? Revenue commission. No, no, no. You owe your car tax anyway. You can't use your car tax, which you owe, to offset what you also owe. I mean, people do that with God. God says you owe me all your obedience. And I say, well, can I use my obedience to offset my disobedience? God says, no. You owe me that. You owe me that anyway. And then He says, but I will cancel. I will cancel your disobedience. I'll remove all the doubt. The problem with this scales business is, how do you know when you've done enough good? God says, I'll remove all the doubt. I'll cancel all the bad deeds. I'll cancel them. And Peter's really specific to these people, he says, for the forgiveness of your sins. These people had put Jesus to death. Your sins. Your sins. This is Christianity. This is what we're reminded of today. We have baptism. A picture of the washing away. It reminds us what has happened to the believer. The Lord's Supper reminds us of how it happened. How could God cancel our sins? It's because God paid for our sins. He said, I'll pay. The person at the bank doesn't take on to pay your fine. They don't do that. They just cancel it. But God is a just God who can't simply do that. Sin is a serious offense against him. Sin has to be paid for. But he says, I'll pay. And we're reminded of that today. And as you come to the Lord's table today, and as you, you either are baptized today or you're watching the baptism, remind yourself, this is what has happened to me God has washed me. God has cancelled my sins. God has paid for every one of them. The second gift, he gives the Holy Spirit. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Those followers, those people who had followed Jesus closely throughout his ministry had gathered together in Jerusalem. They had received the Holy Spirit. What a blessing. The third member of the Trinity, the third person of the Trinity came to live in the lives of these people. To enable them, to enliven them, to give them spiritual life, to give them spiritual strength, to keep them going on the journey and not give up. So they would never feel forsaken or abandoned or alone. God would always be with them. What a privilege. And now Peter says, You people that didn't follow him, you people that demanded his death, you, God says, you can have this gift too. You can have the Holy Spirit live in you. And not just them. This is our privilege. This is God's gift to us. That as you're sitting at the Lord's table this morning and you take the bread and the wine, you're being reminded that God the Son gave himself for you, but also be reminded that God the Spirit gives himself to you, or is given by the Son to you, to make his home in you, to enliven you and to transform you. What great gifts belong to us. This isn't a plank after a shipwreck. This is a A ship laden with treasure coming alongside you after a shipwreck, and you being hoisted on board and told that this ship is yours. Two great gifts. And then, thirdly, a great promise. A great promise. The promise, what promise? The promise of the Holy Spirit, the promise of forgiveness. The promise is for you and your children. And for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. God knows that we are up and down. That we doubt and we believe. That we struggle and we're okay. And he knows that there are times we'll wonder, am I really forgiven? Could it be that simple? Could God really just wipe my past out like that with a word? God says, and for these people who had put Christ to death, who had cried out, let his blood be on us, God, through Peter, underlines what he's just said with a promise. And throughout this whole thing, Peter has been really emphatic with his word, you, you crucified him, you put him to death, whom you crucified. You knew this, and now he's emphatic with the you. He tells them that there's forgiveness for your sin. And he tells the promise is for you. This is for you lest they be in doubt, lest we be in doubt. God in his kindness underlines the whole thing with a promise. So that we can be sure. And there's the promise is in three parts. And each part shows something of God's character. There's certainty. The promise is for you. There's certainty. God wants us to be certain. The promise is for you. The promise is for you. Put the emphasis where you wish. It drives home the certainty. The forgiveness is yours. God coming and dwelling with you. You might think God would want nothing more to do with you. And God says, I want to be with you. That is for you. Here's certainty. How much these men and women needed this. And how much we needed. These men and women had said let his blood be on us. Crucify him, crucify him. And now they're told this is for you. And it's for you and for me today. It's for you Malcolm and Valerie. As you come in a moment to state your faith in this same Jesus publicly. This promise of forgiveness in the Holy Spirit is for you. There will be times that you will look at yourself perhaps and wonder, could it be so simple? I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I don't deserve this. God says, it is for you. The promise is for you. I've cancelled all your sin. I've paid for all your debts. That's what we've got this morning. Washed clean, the stains are washed away, and the Lord's supper, the price has been fully paid. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The promise is for you. Promise is for you, fellow Christians, as God underlines it to us twice today, well, three times, in the promise, in the written word, in the, the picture word of baptism, and in the picture word of of the Lord's Supper, the promise is underlined. And as you're taking part, grasp God's promise to you this morning and marvel at it. As you watch the baptism, if you're a Christian, say to yourself, this is what God is saying to me, not just to Valerie. As we're taking part in the Lord's Supper, say to yourself, this is God's promise to me. Then God's not finished. The promise is for your children. Here's tenderness. His hearers had cried out, let his blood be on us and on our children. They had ruined God's covenant promise in the Old Testament, where God had said, I will be a God to you and your children after you. They said, damn us and our children. We will pay. We will pay. They realize with horror, actually, Christ wasn't a blasphemer. He's God and we will pay. And what about our children? And God speaks to them through Peter and he says, The promise is for you and for your children. What a relief it must have been. They had rashly included their children in their promise. And God generously and graciously includes their children in his promise. And things haven't changed. Peter was simply restating what God had said over and over in the Old Testament. I will be a God to you and your children after you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you. The children of believers have always had a place of immense privilege. That doesn't make them Christians, but it does make them privileged. And God shows his tenderness to our children and to us as parents. We have many worries about our children, but chief amongst our concern for our children, we don't mind ultimately how well you do in your exams or how well uh, you do in getting a job and all those sorts of things, if there is one thing that you get in place, that you put Christ first, that you find Christ as your Savior. That's all that matters ultimately. And the world that you live in, young people, pushes you away from God and pulls you away from God and mocks you if you trust in God, And God comes to you here and comes to us as parents. And he says to us as parents, you're not in this on your own. I'm with you and with your children. This morning we give the sign of God's promise to Jessica, to Holly, and to Isaac as the children of professing Christians. They're the recipients of God's kind promise. And along with our other covenant children, we look forward to the time when you will stand here and you will say, I have made good all the blessings that God has given to me. I have put my trust in Jesus. I have turned from my sin. I am believing in him. And we will welcome you to come and sit uh, with us at the Lord's table. We look forward to that day. Don't waste the privileges Don't waste the privileges. They are great privileges. And those of us as parents, let's keep holding on to this promise and praying it before God for our children. Lord, will you come and work in our children's lives if you haven't already done so? Come and draw them to you. Here's God's tenderness. The promise is for you and for your children. Then thirdly, the third part of it, the promise is for all. Here's God's generosity. Here's a third strand to the promise. All who are far off. In the Old Testament, God promised that he would be a God to, uh, to Abraham and to his descendants and to any foreigner who wanted to come in amongst the people of God. And those same three categories are true today. God says, I will be a God to you, to your children after you, and anybody else. And the Lord calls to follow him. Here's the generosity of God. And here we are 3,000 miles from Jerusalem, 2,000 years from the day of Pentecost. We are far off geographically. We are far off chronologically and God says to us the promise belongs to you you are far off you had no connection to me at all but I have brought you in I have called you and I have made you mine and this promise although you didn't stand there on that day and hear it that promise is for you the forgiveness is yours the Holy Spirit is yours and how thankful we should be. How thankful we should be. For all who are far off. What encouragement that gives us as we look at the world around us. And maybe family members. Or maybe someone here this morning could be close physically but far off spiritually. Here's a God who works in people's lives, to draw them to him so they can enjoy this promise and this grace. A God who is generous, a God who is tender, and a God who gives certainty to those who come to him. And as we sit this morning at the Lord's table and as we watch the baptism, remember the certainty that's yours, be thankful for the tenderness God displays and be thankful for the generosity that God has displayed. Repent and believe or sorry, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins and the Holy Spirit uh, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. From all, for all whom the Lord, our God, will call. Well, let's bow our heads as we pray. Father in heaven, we marvel at your mercy. We marvel at your mercy to these people in Jerusalem who had cried out, crucify him, crucify him, who had taunted him and mocked him. And we marvel that your mercy would echo down through the years to us here so far away and that we have enjoyed this self-same promise. Father, we marvel too that you care for our children and that you make promises to our children. We thank you as parents we are not on our own in this world in seeking to influence our children against the tide of secularism and the pull of temptation. We thank you that you make promises to us. And Father, we pray that our children would not walk away from these privileges, but that they would invest those privileges in repentance and faith and turn to you and trust you and make good their baptism. Father, how we pray that you would continue to pour out your blessing on us as we move from, as it were, your written word to your pictured word. And as you underline for us your promises, and your generosity. We ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.